This morning we're going to have our final one verse wonder. It's our 10th study in this series where we take a look at some of the people that are only mentioned one time in the Bible, either one verse or one small set of verses. Uh, And we're going to wrap it up by looking at a man mentioned only once in God's word in Numbers chapter 3. Numbers after Leviticus, before Deuteronomy. Today our focus is going to be our service to the Lord as Christians. seems like most of these studies have been speaking a lot to us about our personal devotion to God and our mindset as believers. But we've also seen how we can serve God day by day wherever He has placed us. Uh, Those reminders may be fundamental and foundational, but... They're always important because that's what the Christian life is about. As you are going, sowing seed. As you are going, representing Jesus Christ. As you are going, showing love. The Christian life is meant to be simple. It's not without effort, that's, that's for sure. But, but really, as we read the Bible, the Christian life presented to us is meant to be simple. Following after the Lord, being filled by the Lord, and doing what the Lord wants us to do. And so when we start complicating our spiritual lives with legalism or with you know uh, getting drawn off by you know really strange doctrines or things like that when when we start complicating things that's when we lose traction with the path of God which is defined in the Bible as wonderful and powerful and just full of joy and of course you know in some sense most of all our path was with God is about day by day again and again God tells us in his word hey yesterday's gone Tomorrow, you don't know if you have tomorrow, so what about today? What about today? Are you going to follow with me today? Are we going to do something together today? Are you going to be uh, with me today? After God led his people out of Israel, and they were wandering there in the wilderness, the Lord established the law and had them build a tabernacle for worship and sacrifices. Now the tribe of Levi was chosen to perpetually serve in the tabernacle and later the temple throughout all their generations. No other tribe was ever going to serve in that way. They were set aside by God forever. Then, as we read the books of the law, as the Lord got more specific about how they were to carry out the specific tasks of the tabernacle, we find that the Levites were divided by families into three groups that were assigned specific duties. And so starting in Numbers 3, verse 23, we read this. It says the families of the Gershonites were to camp behind the tabernacle westward, and the leader of the father's house uh, of the Gershonites was Eliasaph, the son of Lael. The duties of the children of uh, Gershon in the tabernacle of meeting included the tabernacle, the tent with its covering, the screen door of the tabernacle of meeting, the screen door for the door of the court, the hangings of the court, which are around the tabernacle, and the altar and their cords, according to all the work relating to them. And so our one verse wonder this morning is this guy, Eliasaph. He was the son of Lael, who at the time was the leader of the Gershonite families, which was one third of the uh, Levite division. He's our example and our devotional stand-in. And his family, though mentioned a few times in the scripture, he is only listed here in verse 24 and nowhere else in the Bible. Head over one chapter to Numbers And the assignment of this family is repeated for us, but it gives us a little bit more detail. So Numbers 4, starting in verse 24 this time, read a little bit more about what Eliasaph and the Gershonites were to do. It says, This is the service of the family of the Gershonites, in serving and carrying. They shall carry the curtains of the tabernacle and the tabernacle of meeting with its covering, 
the cover of badger skins that is on it, the screen for the door of the tabernacle of meeting, the screen for the door of the gate of the court, the hangings of the court which are around the tabernacle and altar and their cords, and all the furnishings for their service, and all that is made for these things, so shall they serve. Aaron and his sons shall assign all the service of the sons of the Gershonites, all their tasks and all their service, and you shall appoint them all their tasks as their duty. This is the service of the family of the sons of Gershon in the tabernacle of meeting, and their duties shall be under the authority of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. And so you have the Gershonites seen here, then you have two other Levite family groups so that we can kind of get a handle on this. You have the Merarites, the Kohathites. That's just each one represent a third of the Levites divided by families. The Kohathites were assigned to the altar itself and the Ark of the Covenant and the table of the showbread and, and some of that other really cool stuff that we like to study about. Uh, the Merarites, they got the beautiful pillars and sockets that, were, that hung out all around the tabernacle, these really amazing, ornate, beautiful, gold-covered things. And then you get the Gershonites. They got the tent fabric, and they got a couple screen doors. Uh, <laughs> from a human perspective, we're looking at Eliasaph and his family. And, you know, I think from a human perspective, our man got the short straw. They got the stuff that was covered in desert dust. They got the plain stuff, the heavy stuff, the stuff that nobody noticed. They got a couple of screen doors. I mean, think about that for a minute. God is delivering the law to Moses and the administrative instructions for this new life that the nation had begun. And the Levites are all gathered together and Moses is going to explain to them, this is what you're going to do before your Lord. We're going to build this tabernacle and it's going to be amazing. And you guys are going to perpetually serve forever throughout your generations. You're going to serve the Lord. And as they're together there to receive their assignments given to the three family groups, all, all, the, all the things you're given are the tent, the screen door, and the hangings of the court. Now, the hangings are just more big pieces of linen, big linen walls that you can read about in Exodus 27. And so, you know, really, I, I think on a human level, we have an immediate tendency to think, well, that's not right. That's not fair. That's not great. Who wants to do that? And, you know, I know that I would start comparing the assignments that the different families got if I was there. I'd think, okay, well, I'm a Levite, you're a Levite. You get to hang out with the Ark of the Covenant and move it around and all this gold-covered gold covered stuff. And when people come into the tabernacle, they're going to be like, look at this showbread and look at these lavers and look at all of this stuff. Nobody cares about the tent. Nobody cares about the fabric. Nobody cares about the badger, cover, badger skin covering that's on top of this and the screen door that they had to walk through in order to get there. And so... On a human level, I think we start comparing the assignments that the different families received. And in our own lives, we sort of value certain types of service to the Lord over others, I think. And that's a natural human tendency. But in Eliasaph and in this distribution from God that we see here in these two passages, we find that God's mind is very different than man's mind. And our job is to conform ourselves to God's mind not to stay low in, in our own natural human fallen perspective. Because if we put ourselves in the place of Eliasaph, then devotionally we find that we are sons of God because we are sons of Lael. Now, he's our stand-in this morning, so we look at him and we look at his family and all of that, and we learn things about our spiritual lives. Lael means belonging to God. And so when we become Christians, when we became born again, we were purchased by Jesus Christ. Saved, yes, and that's the word we use 
most often, I think. But we were also purchased by his blood, the Bible says. We know the song, I've been purchased, I've been pardoned, bound to him, I'm truly free. And that's a good you know, kind of capsule of what the Lord did for us and what, how we stand in Christ now. We now literally belong to God as Christians. Since we belong to God and since he purchased us by paying the ultimate price, we become bond servants to him. And you've all heard the illustration of the bond servant in Israel is the person who was in service. You could have a servant in Israel, but after a certain number of years under the law, you had to let your servants go free. You had to give them the option. But if you loved your master and if you loved serving in the house, you, you could say, I want to become a lifelong bond servant. That was a decision that you could make. He would take you to the doorpost of the house, drive it all through your ear and say, okay, now you belong to me forever. And that was a choice that they made. A uh, choice that the individual servants would make. But since we belong to God and he paid the ultimate price to purchase us, we became bond servants to him by accepting him as our Lord and Master. And so as servants of a loving master, we should be thrilled to take part in our duties in his kingdom, no matter if the service seems great or famous or prominent to us or not. Whether he asks us to speak to a multitude or whether the Lord asks us to mop the floors, you know, if we have a proper heavenly understanding, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the Lord is asking us to do because we're serving a, a God of love who, who doesn't have to save us. He doesn't have to love us. He doesn't have to speak to us. He doesn't have to help us. Yet he does all these things. So in face of that, you know, in face of this kind of master who's done all this for me, and if we understand who God is and what he has done, then the, perspective, the proper perspective to service who cares what I'm doing? Man, I get to spend time with the Lord and I get to do what he's asked me to do. So often we hear stories of people who make deals with God when they're in a life and death situation, right? You know, man, Lord, God, if you, I'll do anything if you get me out of this. People who have never been religious or never had any sort of relationship with God, you know, in times of, of life and death or great stress, they call out to God. If you spare my life, if you spare my family, if you do this, I'll do anything for you. Uh, but now, you know, if we think about our lives and our spiritual state, the Lord has given us a new life. He has saved us from death. He's done all of this and more. And so the question is, do I have a willingness to do anything that God asks me to do, no matter how difficult or humbling it might be? And, and that's an interesting question that each of us needs to ask ourselves this morning. Matthew 8:19 kind of gives us this in a nutshell there. A certain scribe came to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And then Jesus had to say, Well, actually, I don't know if you know what you're saying. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, I don't have anywhere to lay my head. You want, are you going to give up a bed? And the impl implication there is that, Oh, well, I'll go wherever you go as long as it's a you know, Holiday Inn Express. You know, I'll go wherever you go as long as there's a fluffy bed there. It's one thing to say, I'll go wherever you go, you know, and, and, and it's another thing to do it. But that choice is presented to us and we have the strength to choose to follow after the Lord because he's given us his spirit. Sometimes our actions in life don't live up to the statement of our hearts that, hey, I love the Lord, I'll do anything he wants me to do. But sometimes our actions don't live up to that statement when we choose not to live as disciples, but we're simply believers. Remember, every disciple is a believer, but not every believer is a disciple. Discipleship takes that moment of action where you do turn and follow after the Lord actively. You know, when we look at the calling of the disciples, 
Those guys had known of Jesus. They had heard him speak. You know, they had maybe even talked to him before. And then finally there came that moment where Jesus came to them and said, Okay, you know who I say I am. You know what I've been saying to you and to the people. Are you going to follow me? And then, you know, the twelve, of course, did follow after the Lord. But many other examples in the Bible said, Well, I'm going to go home. I want to bury my father first. I want to do this first. I'm not, you know, really sure. They may have believed on on one level, but they were unwilling to follow. And so in our hearts, we believe that, oh man, Lord, I'll do anything you want me to do. But what does our actions say? Because sometimes our actions don't live up to that heart belief. When God calls us in service, we need to remember that we belong to him and that all we are, everything we have, our very lives are because of his grace and mercy. And the Lord is worth our honor and our praise and our sacrifice and our devotion because he's a God of love and he, he's an amazing Lord and an amazing master who's done so much for us. Second thing here, our service to the Lord can be strenuous. It's a burden. Now, Jesus did say, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, but it is a burden. There's a burden in our service to the Lord. Our spiritual lives are not just about receiving and kicking back and not doing anything. Spiritually speaking, we can rest when we're dead. That's the kind of you know, principle that we learn in the Bible. The moment we're dead, we're going to be present with the Lord. And what does he say? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. And so we can rest when we're dead. That means that a faithful servant, a bond servant, continues his labor day by day here on the earth. We're not called to just kick back and always receive and never give anything. You know, the Lord wants us to receive from Him, receive wisdom and all the other stuff that we always list out in great, big, wonderful lists. But we are called to active service. We're called to, to the burden of Jesus Christ. His yoke is easy, His burden is light, but we are called to yoke up with Him. These passages and numbers that we read, they don't really sugarcoat the work that the Gershonites were going to have to do. God said us several times in these verses, hey, this is your duty. This is your service. You're going to carry these curtains and these hangings. It's work. And you're going to do it forever, for, throughout your generations. Now, it's wonderful. It's not just you sitting around doing, doing nothing. I've set you aside for this specific, beautiful purpose that people are going to look back upon and you know, admire for thousands and thousands of years. But he's like, hey, this is work. I'm calling you to this. Are you going to take part in it? The call of God is a call of labor. God calls us to put on his yoke and his burden. Now, praise the Lord that he supplies us with all the strength that we need to carry it. His yoke is easy, his burden is light, but our spiritual lives are meant to be like a servant who works, not a noble who sits around and never raises a finger. One of the saddest passages in the Bible is when, during the time that Nehemiah had gone back with a remnant to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and it says there that none of the nobles would put their shoulders to the work. They had come and they said, oh yeah, we want to be a part of this, but all of you other people need to work. All of you other people need to labor. We're just going to sit here and kind of let you know that, well, we support what you're doing with our minds, but we're not supporting you in any other way. That's a very sad thing because we're called to yoke up with Jesus Christ, who's an active, working God. If we're not serving the Lord, then we're not living out the will of God, and that's a problem. The Gershonites were given a specific task and they were have that assignment throughout their generations. If I'm Eliasaph, if I was him, because you know I you know evaluate myself, I'd be comparing my stuff to the Kohathites. I'd be trying to like make a deal on the side. I'd be like, okay, 
you know, whether it was with Kohath or whether it was with the Lord, I'd be like, okay, how about we just, you know, make a little deal? How about we trade you one of our screen doors and you give us one of those pretty gold covered things? We're just straight across. We still have all the curtains and you, you know, you still have all the really cool stuff, but we'll trade one thing each so that we can have a fun, shiny, prominent, you know, famous thing. How about you get one of the curtains and we get one of the pillars? You know, we get one of your glamorous assignments like the ark or the altar or the pillars. But that's not how servanthood works. And that's what we see here in this passage. Because servanthood is not about status. It's not about upward mobility. It's about loyalty. The master makes the call. He looks at us and he determines what he wants each of us to do in his grace and in his mercy. In the parable of the talents there, you know, we know it. The three servants and the master comes. He gives one ten talents. He gives to one servant five talents. He gives to one servant one talent. And the passage there says, each according to his ability. The master knows, okay, here's what you guys are, here's where you guys are at as servants. Here's what level of maturity and responsibility you're at. And so I'm going to give you according to your ability. I'm going to keep giving you opportunities. But to this guy who's, you know, kind of, you know, green and maybe hasn't proven himself as much, maybe hasn't, you know, been that faithful of a servant, I'm not going to give you ten talents. I'm going to give you one talent, each according to his ability. Not because God is a respecter of persons. But because he knows us, he knows where we're at in our lives, he knows how he's gifted us, and he knows how to use our lives in the perfect way. God's called each of us to specific areas and specific people so that he can minister his gospel most effectively here on the earth. And so when we start comparing and complaining and coveting, that's when we've left the realm of bondservant and we've entered the realm of hireling. And God doesn't want any hirelings in his kingdom. A hireling looks and says, hey, well, this guy's getting this and I'm getting that. And so, you know, I want to I, I, I want to swap this out and I'm going to you know, file a grievance against my master. And, you know, that's what a hireling does. And God doesn't want or need any hirelings in his kingdom. And so where are we going with all this? Looking at Elias Saf and the Gershonites, what's the message? Is the message just, you know, suck it up and stop complaining? It might be, you know, if you're a complainer, then it's time to stop complaining. Uh, I'll be honest, I'm a complainer, you know, in my heart. I, I just need to check that attitude in my life. I complain too much. And so if you're like me, then we just need to cut that out of our lives. We need to stop complaining. That's part of the message today. And the Lord gives us the power and the strength and the spirit to do that. Is the message just stop comparing your ministry or your service? Yeah, that's part of it too. Comparison is always bad. Whenever we start comparing ourselves to other Christians or other people and saying, you know, start kind of pouting about what they get to do versus what we get to do, uh, it's just always bad. When Jesus was talking to the 11 disciples over breakfast after his resurrection there, beautiful scene, he was telling them about some of the stuff that was going to happen. And immediately, what did they do? They started comparing themselves and asking the Lord, well, Lord, what about this guy? And how come you said this about him? And Jesus said, hey, what's that to you? You guys need to not be worried about that. The reason that he said that is because our service is only about us and the Lord. Our service is about our faithfulness, not our prominence, not our success. It's just about us and the Lord and our faithfulness, not how we stack up against other people. It's just about us and him. That's why we stand before the Lord alone at the end of our lives. When we start comparing ourselves and our service to others, it just becomes toxic one way or another. Well, they do this and I do that. Whether we think we're better or whether we think they're better, when we start living that way, that's when discontent and compromise and legalism and arrogance set in. And that's not what our service is about. Your life is about you and Jesus and how faithful you are to the call that he has placed on you. It's not about you know, how we compare to other people that the Lord is working with. But here's the best focus of the message today. 
Yes, we need to stop complaining. Yes, we need to stop comparing. But the real focus today, the best focus is always on God's heart and his desire for our lives as individuals. And it has three parts. Eliasaph's name means God gathers or God has added. What we find on a devotional level is this. First, every aspect of service is important. We might look on the assignments of the Gershonites and ascribe that less value than that of the Kohathites, for example. That's just a human valuation. To God, every piece of service is important. Without fabric, there is no tabernacle. Without showbread, there is no tabernacle. Without the ark, you know, God wanted all of these things to be a part, and one was not more important necessarily than the other because they were all part of his plan. Both are necessary. All those things are there to glorify him. Jesus said what? He said, hey, you give somebody a cup of water, that's like personally ministering to me. We should never devalue any faithful service to God simply because it's less flashy or less prominent than some other service. That's not how God works. Second, we see in Eliasaf that God gathers his people for his service. We believe that the Bible teaches that God specifically gifts and then assigns us as individuals to serve in a specific ministry in a specific local church. That's how the Bible explains our service to us as New Testament believers. So spiritually speaking, we know that we are purchased servants who belong to the Lord. We know that every single one of us has tasks that God desires we partake in. Therefore, our duty is to go before the Lord and discover the things he wants us to do. And that's really exciting. When we see life in that perspective, it's exciting and it's, it's really amazing. If we're not showing up for duty as bondservants, then we've become like the faithless servant who just buried his talent in the ground. And God cannot reward that kind of service. He can't record that, reward that kind of life because he has called us to active duty. Third thing we see in Eliasaph that God has added to our lives. If we see ourselves as servants, if we behave like bond servants who are loyal to our master, then we will quickly discover that God has added meaning to our lives like never before. He's added reward to our lives like never before. He's added maturity like never before. He's added his kingdom to our daily living. Not only that, but God has gone on record as saying that if we are faithful, then he will add to our lives more opportunity, more service, more maturity, more spiritual responsibility. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. Now I will give you many more responsibilities. That's what the master said to the faithful servant. So here's the deal. Each of us are called to be bond servants of God. He has saved us. He has gifted us, he has trained us, and he has given us the call to serve. That calling is optional only in the sense that we have the freedom to follow God or to ignore him. To ignore him is sin, to follow him is the call. Today is an opportunity for you to serve the Lord, whether that be giving someone a cup of water or leading someone in the sinner's prayer. All forms of service to God glorify him. All those forms of service please him. Therefore, we have no need to complain. We have no need to compare ourselves to others because the things that God wants us to do are for us personally. And the Lord says, this is what I want for you. This is how you can glorify me, whether it be small or great in our eyes. And so today, be overjoyed by the simple and mind-blowing fact that God has selected you for specific service and a specific assignment, and you get to discover what it is today. Your entire life has been set aside by God purchased by the blood of his son so that God can deliver heaven to you and through you to others. God has added to your life and to my life unspeakable blessings. And so if our response to God is anything other than here I am, Lord, send me, then we've lost sight of what it means to be a servant and to be a Christian. 
And if that's the case, we need to return to Paul's message in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Dear brothers, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Amen.